Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roost Podcast. As always, I am Curtis Byers with my co-host Fabi Bartlett, the director and managing editor of the Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. All right, we get to talk, you know, not just actual football coming up with, uh, at time of recording, uh, less than three weeks remaining before Rice's season opener, but we get to actually talk about Rice. We get to actually talk the, um, the uh, raison d'etre of this podcast instead of, you know, talking about other teams like we spent all summer doing. Which was fun. We got, we, we, we've now talked actually for the last time, <laughs> some of the, uh, Conference USA schools that won't be going with us. We uh, yeah. uh probably our last Louisiana Tech podcast. Should, should we should we mourn? Pour one out. <laughs> Sorry, Louisiana Tech, easy target. So we're gonna get to rice today, exclusively rice. And the way we're gonna structure this, at least the plan at the moment, we'll have a defensive preview this week. We will hit the offense next week. And then after that, like Carter mentioned, it will be game week. So hopefully we'll have something special in store for USC. We'll see. Kind of working out details there. But one quick housekeeping item. Well, two parts. First part, if you're not subscribed on Patreon yet, uh, you really should. You will get access to all the fall camp reports, including the latest on who's winning in the quarterback race, which that wasn't pre-recorded. That was actually live. We're doing this right now. We have the most <laughs> recent update for you guys. Hopefully, we'll be coming to an end. We'll talk about that on next week's show. I promise. So there's a tease, but there's some stuff on Patreon there. There's every positional preview. I said this last week. If you just go grab the positional previews and the camp reports uh, and you just read them for the rest of August, you're looking at less than a dollar uh, per per day for everything that you could get. It's great. It's in there. I mean, what what what's ten dollars by thirty? Is that thirty cents a day? So something like that. Math. This is a this is not going to be a math podcast, but it's a good deal. Drink your coffee and and read some rice football. On that front, uh, special shout out to Chris Powers, uh, newest All American subscriber, giving him a shout on a out on the pod for his contribution. Excited to have him on board and hear his name on our podcast. So those are. Patreon notes, uh, subscriber notes, Rice football notes, premium content notes. And now we get to, I guess, get into the nitty gritty and, and talk about Rice football on the field in fall camp in this coming fall. Or, uh, do we need to like put it where are seat, seat belts or put on a, a caution flag or how, how does this work? <laughs> uh, yeah, some sort of, um, you know metaphorical girding of the loins or uh or donning of of personal safety and or protective equipment yes so i think i think i'll start us by just kind of uh, maybe laying the not the ground rules but kind of setting the stage with where this defense is because i think it's really interesting rice had media days this past weekend where they had a bunch of players made available and coaches to kind of talk about the year and whatnot and I sat down uh, with with George Nyqual. I sat down with uh, Brad Rosner, not on defense, but, uh, you know, uh, Luke McCaffrey, a bunch of guys that actually weren't playing the position they're playing this year for this team last year. And in the case of George Nyqual, he's been out two years and during kind of fall camp, I've chatted with with Treshawn DeBones who was out all last year. Uh, I talked with the Braylon Carroll, who was out all last year. Uh, you're sensing a theme here. I, I, I haven't talked yeah. with him yet, but Kirk Lockhart was out all last year. Uh, he is also back. We're just going down the list. And I think that's something that I'm struggling and kind of to put into context with this defense this year. Because if you look, you know, on paper, this is a defense that was... I have to have make sure I get this right. Probably underwhelming. I, I think from what we kind of expected, Rice came in at the number 13 scoring defense in Conference USA out of 14, which is not good. Uh, the number nine rushing defense in Conference, also not very good. And the number 14 passing defense in the Conference. So you look across the board at the numbers last year, and I believe Rice comes out middle of the pack as far as, you know, quote unquote, returning production. 
So kind of setting the stage for this season is uh, the members of the 2019 defense, I guess 2019 slash 2020 defense that were good are, are coming back. And I don't know if we can throw away last year's numbers, but I kind of want to, and maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Does kind of feel like a, a somewhat fair quasi starting point for where we're going to go today? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it was certainly the worst defense, the one they had last year since Bloomberg's first year, but given all the injuries that they had with, at some really key positions, um, and the number of those guys that are back this year, um, I think, and you know, I, I think we got to talk about this and some, some wrap up stuff at the end of last season, but I think it's fair to give this defense and to give Brian Smith the kind of benefit of the doubt as far as what happened last season and with the guys they have coming back. Like, I think it is an entirely reasonable and probably like uh, fair expectation that the, the overall performance you see from the Stevens this year is more akin to what we saw in the 2019 or 2020 season than what we saw in the 2021 season. Which is interesting because I know we're, we're not going to save offense talk for next week, but the 2021 offense was probably the best iteration of this offense we've seen <laughs> under Bloomberg's tenure, I think with, with Tui having a, a large portion of that. So man, if we could combine the 2019 20 defense with a slightly improved offense, I'm I'm getting slightly excited and trying to kind of hold on. I mean, they won four games last year with only one of those good sides of the ball. So, uh, I, I you know I think it is uh, that's definitely the kind of performance we want to see on both sides of the ball. I think it's an entirely reasonable expectation that you get somewhere around that performance level and. I mean, that probably gets you to a bowl, which uh, I think everyone would agree is something that uh, this staff des- desperately needs out of this season. So I think that that has to happen. Yeah, yeah, that that needs to be the expectation. So with that in mind, I, I kind of feel like we have a couple big picture things. I know we can kind of maybe kind of wrap it up with some of those thoughts at the end. I wanted to kind of go, you know, blow by blow, position group by position group, and just kind of flesh out. Because I feel like the last time we kind of looked at this, we've kind of looked at it from a a recruiting perspective, I think in like February, which Rice has added a half dozen players that will be probably key contributors since February. So we have to talk about those guys. And then, you know, we need to kind of take our inklings and what we've gathered so far from fall camp. So I want to start with the defensive line. Because I know on paper, we looked at this a year ago and we said, man, we're going to miss Elijah Garcia, who's still in camp with the Los Angeles Rams at the time of recording. So anytime you lose a pro guy on the defensive line, that's a loss. But I was at Rice's scrimmage this past Saturday and I counted, I think, about a half dozen NFL scouts that were there to chat with Akina uh, and Chikuwu. And just catch up. He didn't even play in the scrimmage. They were just there to talk with him. Obviously, they stayed to watch the practice. So if you're telling me we're trading one NFL guy for another NFL guy and we're getting to Braylon Carroll back, I start to feel good. But my one kind of nugget that I want to drop in from from what I've seen and from conversations I've had throughout fall camp is I chatted with you know, Brian Smith, the defensive coordinator. And I said, just kind of big picture. Tell me about your defense. Like, what are you seeing this this fall during camp? And the first guy out of his mouth was Quentin, the transfer defensive lineman from Abilene Christian. And I was like, okay, I make a note. That was an unprompt, not tell me about your new guys, not tell me about who's standing out the best. Like, that was just, this is on the top of his head. And then we go down to media gaze and he's doing his, you know, kind of preamble, same kind of thing. Like, here's what I want to opening statement, talk about the defense. And he starts with Quintet again. And I think it's not a coincidence 
And I think it's interesting. He pointed out that Rice hasn't really taken a grad transfer on the defense in Bloomgren's tenure. And I had to think about that. Uh, but he's right. Most, if not all of the guys that have brought in as transfers on defense have been Juco. Uh, and even at that, maybe a couple younger guys. I mean, you have a, a bowling coming in who's going to play Viper transferring in for Army this year after one one year at West Point. So there's a couple, but they haven't really had a plug and play defensive veteran guy yeah. like this. And I don't I don't know if we brought his name up on the podcast yet. But I know defensive line has been a the depth there has been an issue. And I think even if he's he's not the only one, but even if he's like serviceable to good, Rice has to be really happy with how that position looks going into the fall. Yeah, that's I I, I want to say that when he. You know, I remember exactly when he committed, it may have been after signing day, but um I think it was like literally the day of the spring game. I'm pretty sure I was on the field interviewing somebody. Yeah, when it happened. that sounds right. So I, I like I want to say that we we had because I I remember discussing him. So I, I feel like we had a you know maybe just a quick hitter like oh you know got this grad grad transfer commit you know we'll see what comes of that but like you know doesn't hurt but you know grad transfers especially these days when when transferring generally is so much easier and more 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 fluid i feel like you don't see these guys or it's more of a crapshoot i guess as to whether they tend to make a big impact so i don't know that we expect a whole lot especially when you're coming up from fcs you know it's it's always you i i never want to count on those guys to like make an impact on and if they do that it's a big bonus but yeah exactly what you said the, the fact that he was sort of the first name out of smith's mouth suggests that he's obviously had a really good camp and in, in position and just getting, you know, between him and obviously getting to bring Carroll back and Isaiah Floyd, finally really finding a home on that side of the ball. It feels like suddenly there is real depth at defensive tackle. Um, that is not something they've had a whole lot of before. Um, and, yeah. And I think it has yeah. an argument. It, it might be the interior defensive line might be the deepest position on this team, because I'm just thinking through the list, like you have DeBraylin Carroll, uh, you have Akina, who is probably going to play a fair amount of inside. That's kind of where he's going to start. He has some flexibility. So, but Akina, DeBraylin, Isaiah Floyd, Quintent, and we haven't talked about Blake Banish, but he was kind of a, a darling of spring, and he's his he has gotten more explosive, I feel like going into this fall camp and he's already like the first off the bus six three three thirty pounds but now he has a quick first step you put him next to Debraylin and man things get interesting so I think just with those five starting point like I and I and one of these things I thought this was fun I talked with coach Smith they're installing a short short yardage package with five interior defensive linemen on the field <laughs> Finally, you know, we we made all that noise a couple of years ago about how they were were doubling the number of guys on the team that were three hundred plus plus pounds, and you know it's time that uh time to put that into 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 practice. The uh the where's the beef package? <laughs> I'm gonna pass that back. That'll be we need some creative <laughs> naming for that. <laughs> so I'm excited about the interior, and I am I'm curious about what is going to happen on the edge because last year kind of transitioning to the outside, you had Kenneth orgy who got hurt early on in the season. And that kind of elevated Joshua Piercy into a every down role while orgy was sidelined. Well, orgy came back and Piercy, I mean, first he looks like a Greek God, so that helps. But, but second was just, Dominant. I think at the end of last year yeah. when we were doing our, our postseason kind of uh, awards, I think you gave him uh, a nod as a defensive riser for that record. So those two guys, here's what and here's what I struggled kind of putting the, the depth chart together. Uh, I think you, you list them both at rush end, but 
I don't know how they're not going to put both of them on the field at the same time. And so far, early inklings from camp, those two guys are on the field together a lot. Yeah. Uh, and when, when you have, especially on, on passing downs, like, you know, you can get packages out there where you, um, if you're looking to get a little, little more mobile, a little more versatile, like you put, you put those two guys out there, you move a Kenna inside. Um, that gives you three really solid pass rushers with their hand in the dirt. And we know the way Smith likes to move around guys. Um, you know, put Trayshawn on the edge, put uh, Chamberlain on the edge and, and, and things like that. You can bring a lot of sort of exotic pressures with that. Um, and you, you really have the potential to, to kind of create some habit plays. Um, and just like anytime you, you, you have multiple guys who can really rush the passer like that, and if you can get packages where you have them on the field together, then it just sort of acts as a force multiplier. Because like, even if you, if you just have that one guy who is that really solid pass rusher, then, you know, the offenses can do a lot to kind of neutralize that guy. If, if they can slide the protection his way, they can chip and double team and all those sorts of things. But if devoting all your resources to stopping one guy causes another guy who is just as good or almost as good to uh, get a whole bunch of one-on-ones, then that makes massive difference. It really hamstrings what the, what the offense can do in terms of adjusting protections to to neutralize any particular guy and and that's where that's where i get nervous because if i look at the depth chart beyond orgy and piercy uh we said the interior of the line was was stacked uh, it's it's pretty i'm not gonna say bleak i'm gonna say uh, unproven maybe outside of that because you have you have trey schumann who at this point in his career is not an every down player. Uh, Just from an injury perspective, you can't play him 70 snaps a game on defense and and ask him to get through the whole season. I just, it's not going to happen at this point. Uh, He's still a good player. You want to mix him in him in a rotation, I think could be very effective. And that's probably what we'll see this fall. But outside of him, (laughs) it's, it's a bunch of guys who are going to have to earn their stripes on the fly. So throughout spring, it was Van Heitman who kind of came in and kind of had his moments. He's kind of been operating as the number two on the edge so far through fall camp. You have him, Garrett Brayden, former linebacker, has moved to the edge. He's running with uh, second, third teams. And then... Uh, I got this is going to we have in a lining up possibly to Nuwajuwaku. Make sure I got that pronounced right. So Chibi <laughs> is, is what he goes by signing in this most recent class. Uh, he was actually the one the offense kind of ruled the day in the first scrimmage. I was I was really excited with what I saw from him off the edge. I, I don't. And that's the thing with these young guys. I don't think he's going to be a guy that can come in and and be a a key like relied upon contributor you don't want him to probably at least uh early on in his career next year give him a year with hans in the weight room i think that could be a different story but this is the part of the defense that i kind of get the most nervous about because you have orgy who has had a couple injuries in his past uh and trey schumann who are both guys that are you know have have injury histories and if you miss those guys for any amount of time, I know DeBraylin can be super, super, you know, disruptive on the inside. But you move a Kenna out, that's kind of your only fail safe. Unless I unless I'm missing some other form. And, and that's the thing. Brian Smith can get creative and I wouldn't be shocked if we see Treshawn, you know, Chamberlain move and him come play off the edge and they could put you know, Litchfield, Javon at Viper or play wide at Viper and do something creative. Like they can do that, but that's not where this defense I think is best. So I get nervous. Is that, is there anything else on the defense that kind of makes you more nervous or is this kind of standing out to you like it is to me? Yeah. In in terms of a, uh, yeah, like I think that's probably it. Like I I think they will probably will get to linebacker next. I assume that, that, 
they have enough options at that spot next to Agenciano that, that someone will emerge. And I feel pretty good about the secondary as a whole, knock on wood. But um, especially in terms of a position where the drop-off from having your top two guys and the performance will get when you have those guys to, if even one of them gets hurt, the drop-off that you're going to get. Um, yeah, like, and I think they have enough good players. Like, you know, if you're in sort of a standard four down front, you've got, um, you know, it kind of had the one sort of um, more uh, more tighter defensive end spot and, and one of those guys at the rush end. Or maybe you've got, you know, DeBrayland at three tech. And that's sort of like, they've got guys, true defensive linemen, who can be disruptive in the sense that, you know, if the offense is devoting too much attention to, say, Piercy at rush end, then, then you know, I uh, I won't be full-blown hitting the panic button if one of those goes, one of those guys goes down. But, uh, you know, especially if you, I don't know, one of them catches a lingering injury to where he can play, and, but isn't quite as effective, and then the other one's maybe out for a little bit, then that's... Um, just having that big drop off from your top two to the next group uh, is is worrisome. And my my like my comfort in this kind of goes hand in hand with with trusting, you know, Smith and the defense that he has kind of put together. He has he comes from a tree where they like to get uh, creative and kind of run through different set like just watch and and you've done this you've put together a film room with this i believe just where trayshawn chamberlain lines up from snap to snap to snap yeah like the dude can play three different positions on three different plays and so if rice gets to a point where they just don't have edge guys like we will see a game if something like that happens where rice plays with five safeties the whole game and they make it work (laughs) like like it's not going to be plan A, but like Rice, there will be one linebacker, five safeties, and you'll have a kid on the edge. Like, you'll figure it out. Like, if anybody has the the creativity to kind of make it work, it might be Smith. So that's what I'm going to stand by. But um, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I don't I don't want to experiment and have to get there by choice. Yeah, no, that's, that's, we'll uh... see. Don't want to have to rely on that as your your main method of generating pressure and havoc. Well, and then I guess that gets to the other question mark that you kind of point at pointed out, which is linebacker. And I think going into the fall, and I think in some of our our summer conversations, we talked about this being the unit that we just had the most questions about going into camp. And I I think I. I think I might still be there to a degree from what I can report so far is that on opening day, I'm still I'm reasonably confident that it'll be Aiden Ciano and Myron Morrison who line up and take those two Mike and, and Will starting line at linebacker spots, respectively. They'll be first out of the gate. I talked with Coach Smith about. Chris Conti, the Rutgers transfer and kind of had a, a opportunity to kind of watch him. And I kind of got similar vibes with how Rice has handled, you know, Juco transfers at the position of the past. I think about Blaze Aldridge when he came in and there was kind of an understanding when Blaze came in that, hey, we like this guy. Hey, we think this guy is going to be our long term answer at the position. but we got some guys there who have played and done it at rice before and let's, you know, not throw them in and make him <laughs> learn on the fly. And that's kind of the feel I got uh, with Conti. I think that he's the kind of guy that if you tell me that he's a starting linebacker, by the time rice gets to October, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Wouldn't shock me. Uh, so I don't think he's that far out of the pecking order. So, to, so to speak to get there. So that that's kind of what I've gotten from watching him conversations I've had through camp. I think that's there. And I, I think Andrew Alway was kind of the guy who him and Jojo Gene at corner were probably the stars of the spring on defense. And he's kind of 
kept up where he left off. So I think that's going to be your quartet of guys who see the most work. It'll it'll be Siano and Morrison, then Conte and Awe, and then you have Kenny Seymour, uh, another sophomore now that came in that same class with DJ Arkansas and Siano. So that'll be the guys they've moved. Uh, Chike Adegbogu from safety to linebacker as kind of a depth piece uh, to fill out that room. But given how many linebackers Rice typically puts on the field and what we've seen so far, I would I'd be very surprised to see more than two linebackers on the field for Rice at any point in the near future. Yeah, no, it's just not as far as true linebackers, like, I mean, the Viper position is a hybrid that's kind of all over the place, but you're almost never going to play three, like, classic off-ball line. And there are, there are honestly very few offenses, that, or very few defenses that really do that at all these days. So, um, yeah, you're not going to see a whole lot of that, I don't think. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have a whole lot more to say about this position, honestly. Um I think Siano is a guy that you have a fair amount of confidence in. I think is a guy that basically from the moment he stepped on campus last year, the bus was kind of like, yeah, this is a guy we, this is a guy we like, this is a guy we have a lot of confidence in. And has just been essentially like from the moment the calendar kind of turned over to we're on to the 2022 team now was the guy that had kind of locked down the position. Um, so I, I think you feel good about him. Um, Morrison is a guy that, um, you know, probably doesn't have the highest ceiling, but has been on this team for a while and then has the experience. And the thing I say about linebackers is that you can always do worse than like guys who always know where to be. Like sometimes a lot gets made about, um, you know, linebackers needing to be faster in, in modern football. And um, often the difference in, in pure speed that guys have is, is entirely made up for and wiped out by if you're just, you know, a quarter second faster in recognizing a play and where the ball is going. So I think it's a position where you often tend to lean to experience and time in the system. So, um, yeah, this is, this is the Antonio Montero effect, right? This is a guy who wasn't ever the best athlete, wasn't the fastest, but dude just, made a beeline for the football and got there with intensity like that's that's what you want especially because you're playing two guys and how you're going to position them i'm not saying you can you can hide the linebackers in this defense but if they can be in the right spot there aren't going to be many occasions where they're left out to dry one-on-one with somebody right i mean like Brent Venables ran like elite defenses at Clemson for years, putting guys like oh shoot, I'm totally blanking on the guy they had the last couple of years. Um, but I'm thinking of like Ben Boulware back in like 2016 and stuff like that. Dudes who were essentially like like three star linebacker types standing in there among all the like five star defensive linemen and defensive backs that Clemson had recruited. And they would basically just walk those guys up to the line and have them like run blitz or rush the pad. They would they would be like stand up defensive linemen almost. They would never be playing in space because they were never gonna let those guys hang out to dry on an island against the Ohio States and Alabamas of the world. And if if Clemson at the absolute highest levels of the sport can scheme up a way to make guys who who do not have the athleticism that the other guys around them have to um, to make those defenses effective, then it, it's it, it's totally possible, and and we have indeed seen it before that Rice can can make it work without with inside linebackers as long as they are confident and and know what they're doing and know where to be and know their role. I think I think that's and this one we're not really going to know until we see it, because I feel like there's only so much from a a linebacker you can really see and before you get to right. actual games. Like, did they did they tackle the guy or not? That's kind of all we're limited to when it comes to kind of assessing their play in a scrimmage or during camp. So we'll see. I think the last kind of the back end of the defense 
this probably can go pretty quickly because I think it's the along with the the interior of the line. I feel like we feel pretty good about here. I guess we we can start with corner. I think Jordan Dunbar was probably the most impressive young player on the defense last year. I mean, there's a long list, but he kind of came out of nowhere and was the fourth or the fifth corner in the spring and became the guy who went man on man with Traylon Burks and held his own, which is pretty good since Traylon Burks is now playing in the NFL and, and Sean fresh, he kind of, had had a couple struggles and was kind of put into a, a timeshare kind of split snaps with Miles McCord at last last year, kind of midseason. By the end of the year, it was back to him and his job and kind of him being the guy. And and he's been fantastic through through camp so far. It's been him and Jordan Dunbar as they're not going to leave the field like period. Rice is going to rotate through a bunch of guys on the defensive line. There will be a little bit of rotation at corner, and I think Miles McCord is a very good third corner who has started a lot of games for Rice over the past couple of years, but I think that's where we're at. Rice has three proven commodities at corner, and then the only real question is who's going to be corner four, and at this point, I it, Joe, Joe, Gene, Lamont, Narcisse, or Trayshawn Devones, take your pick. I have absolutely no idea. I've been watching, and and I still I don't know. <laughs> but hopefully we don't need them. Is the goal? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's nice to have like two guys in 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 Sean and Jordan who are just like yeah coming in. It's like okay, those are the starting quarterbacks. Like you know who they are. You have confidence in the way they're going to play. Um, and both have have sort of proven it at that level. Um, Miles McCord is a guy whose who's play we have been very complimentary of when he's been out there the last couple of years so it's great to have a guy like that that you have confidence in as the third option um, we'll see as far as the fourth one um, I know it seems like a million years ago that Treshawn Devones was was uh, bursting his way onto the scene as a like late enrollee true freshman but um Hopefully he can regain that form. Uh, you know, he's he's been injured for a while. Obviously, uh, JoJo was a was a big player in the spring. But, like, regardless of which of those guys takes that spot, like, if you are getting to the point in season where you have to ask, like, crap, who is our fourth corner going to be, then, like, something has already gone pretty wrong. So, <laughs> I don't know and that since it we've matters. already been there in each of the last two seasons, I feel like, Yep. You know, odds would suggest we it's not going to happen again. Knock on yeah. all the wood. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so you know, there are worse positions to be in than you're like I don't know. If you're on if you're on corner 4, like you've reached disaster like like that is an entire starting unit in the quarterbacks that you have lost. And you know, if one of those if the guy that's at that fourth spot happens to be the guy who was really good as a true freshman or the guy who spent all spring like constantly making plays out of nowhere, then you know there are worse places to be. So, um, yeah, you feel I okay think that, with that being your corner four. You don't yeah. if that's corner two. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I, there are not a whole lot of positions, and I, God, I feel like I'm cursing them. Not, not a whole lot of positions where I've felt this good coming into a season for rice over the past few years where it's just like, yep, got, got great starters that you're confident in and you have some, some quality depth that you're, you're and I think you're, you're not worried if you have to dip into that. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of stuck out to me. And, and I was chatting with, with Mike Bloomgren at, at media days and we were just kind of, you know, talking between sessions that the owls were having and, he made a comment to me that stuck with me. We were talking about the backups at a bunch of different positions. And he said, he said, you know, their names. And I was like, what do you mean? He's yeah. Like, the backups. Like, you know who they are. I was like, oh, that's a good point. Like miles Mo starting corner for this team for multiple yep. seasons. Yep. And he's the third option. Like you're going through the list here of all these guys. And I'm like, 
Trey Schumann, like, is a starter, but he's not going to be asked to be the every down guy. Uh, and he's there. <laughs> you know, Kirk Lockhart was a guy that started a couple games. He's back. Uh, you know, Play Wyatt uh, had a couple good plays. Gabe Taylor, however that works out, he'll be a starter. Like, I'm just going through the list of Josh Piercy is a two on this depth chart. And I think he's probably one of the six or seven best players on the defense. Like we have all these twos that are, that I know the names. I was trying to think back. I'm like, okay, name a corner on the 2019 roster. Uh... Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) You go back, I'm like, Jason White. <laughs> I'm like, uh, slot yeah. corner. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, like, that was Miles McCord. You went to 2018, and you're talking like, uh, uh, yeah, it's a problem. And part of that is my memory. But also, like, just <laughs> the, the depth wasn't, wasn't there on those teams. They had 50 players in the spring. They have 109 players on this roster, which is pretty yeah. good for – not not the upper end maybe of college football. That's but pretty close. Well, when, you have when you're in a place where roster. you can you can take an injury at basically any position, and then you're not immediately pulling the depth chart out to because you're looking at the backup and you're like, wait, who is number twenty seven? Because yes, I want you know to not guys. have to say who is number X at all this year. That's the goal. Like, like, and, and to transition it to safety, like just like you were talking about, I was like so. You functionally are looking at a three safety defense here if you consider the Viper as a third safety. And I think that's probably if you're going to shoehorn it into one of the traditional yeah. spots. It's it's a it's a safety. So your top, your entire two deep, so that's six players of safeties, are guys that are I have either five of them have played a lot of uh well, actually you could you could really even Let's see. So you've got George Nyakwal, who's been here forever. You've got Treshawn Chamberlain. You've got Kirk Lockhart, Gabe Taylor, Play Wyatt, and um, Litchfield. Litchfield How do you Javon, th- the, tra- the transfer Javon. from Notre Dame. Yeah. So He'll yeah. Begin you, in the mix of Viper, he can play a couple different spots. You've got five guys who have all like played a good bit of football at Rice. Some of them have been starters for a very long time. They've been on the team. I mean, is this now Georgia's sixth year? Um, it obviously, least. yeah, <laughs> obviously a lot of times been injured, but guys who have been in the program a long time played a lot of football, and then the sixth guy is um, a former what, like four star transfer from Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, graduated so from Notre Dame already and has three years of eligibility okay, remaining. That, yeah, that'll do it. So um, again, kind of a same. I'll be interested to see exactly how these starting roles shake out. I don't think that's maybe quite as clear. And they do tend to rotate at these positions more than they do at corner just because the roles and the precise like spots on the field that these guys take is is one of the things that tends to shift a lot in this defense. But yeah, it may not be quite as certain like how the depth chart looks here and who's playing where and when as it is with corner, but I think it's a similar situation where you just like, yeah, as if if you know, as long as you don't lose like two thirds of these guys to injury, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. Yeah, and and I will add just kind of as we're piecing this together, I think Gabe Taylor is a guy that. I've always just been curious to kind of follow because didn't really play high school football till his senior year of high school came in really raw. Obviously the talent is there and we caught kind of saw him flash at times last year, uh, had a couple interceptions and kind of worked his way into starting lineup towards the end of the season. And he was a guy that I I was kind of curious to watch this spring and this fall to kind of see, was he going to stick? And and I think he has. They've kind of brought a couple guys back and moved people around. But he's a guy that I, I think if we're talking about guys that aren't household names that that could be, I don't think he necess- he doesn't have the recognition that, you know, a guy like George does or even a guy like like Jordan Dunbar or Ian Siano, I think maybe 
has at this point. But I think he could be one of those guys that we're talking about next year with like, oh, yeah, you know, one of the linchpins of the defense. It, it, it's obviously Gabe Taylor. Like, I, I could see that. It would not shock me. So he's a guy that I, I think as they kind of work to establish things, I think he's a guy that his role seems pretty locked in. And I feel pretty good about that at starting the, the starting spots and then having a couple pieces that they can move around behind that we've heard of is going to be good. So I feel good there. I think I feel the best about the interior of the defensive line. I feel next best about corner. Then it would be safety. And then I think after that, it's full edge and then linebacker. If I were ranking on the fly. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, And yeah, like I, I don't think I've ever had this level of confidence in the secondary as a whole, which in modern college football is a very, very good place to be in. Um, especially because you can just like, you know, with the games you can play up front and the way, like sometimes defending the run, it really is sort of as simple as having the numbers there. Um, and so I like having a secondary that you can rely on, that you can kind of leave guys on an island and, and get more guys in the box to either rush the passer or um, or stop the run. That puts you in a really good place. But then also on the reverse, just being able to maybe rely a little more often on just guys beating their man up front and getting pressure and not having to call exotic blitzes and, and rush five and all that stuff and letting you just play the numbers in the passing game as well as the situation dictates, then that gives you a lot of flexibility as a defense and a lot of, a lot of ways to where you can, can play to the strength of the offense and try to, to take that away without having to leave yourself totally vulnerable at other spots. Yeah, and I and I think the bottom line that it's going to come down to, it'll be injuries as always that we've kind of had the question mark with this unit. But I I really do think that if if you can right now if you can just guarantee me that uh, DeBraylin Carroll and Treshawn Chamberlain and Akina, if those three play the entire season, you just let me pick those three. If those guys are healthy the whole season. I think they have enough disruption that they can make everything else work. <laughs> like, yeah. give me those three guys and you just have a normal amount of college football injuries. Like it happens. Guys will miss games. Just keep, but I think they're so close that if they can just keep a couple key guys healthy and just wear the, wear the rest like you normally would in any year, I think they're going to be all right. So that's the defense. I think I don't know if I have too much more to say about them. I think that's the kind yeah, of blow well, by blow. I think we got it pretty good. And then I thought this was fun. We did this last year and kind of I mean, maybe we did it two years ago too. I'm trying to remember, but kind of played a game that kind of let us talk through the rest of what we're feeling and thinking about these things. And uh, we can kind of each give our case on what's more likely to happen. And I kind of threw together a bunch of scenarios into a jar and, and pulled out a couple. Yeah. So the first one we have up here is what's more likely a rice player wins conference USA defensive MVP or the rice defense pitches a shutout. And I went back and forth on this one. I think ultimately I would go with shutout. Um, they do play an FCS team in McNeese State who I was trying to get a gauge of them they were fairly high in the like in when Bill Connolly did like the SSP plus ratings but then they were only like four and seven last year so I don't really know what to with make Frank, of them as far Frank as Wilson is their head coach ah yeah but he, but he left and he went back to LSU yeah so I don't really I, know what to I make of them was the head coach yeah but having an FCS team on the schedule and also with hopefully a more 2019, 2020-ish defense, there are a lot of offenses in CUSA that can just sort of be terrible on any given day. 
Um, I feel like that, as opposed to winning defensive MVP, I feel like that kind of requires you to have a guy who is likely to be the best at his position in the conference. And it generally needs to be at a position where a guy is just going to rack up stats and like big flashy plays. So you're either looking at like a pass rusher or maybe like a Blaze Aldridge type linebacker who's just making plays all over the place or like a safety who just gets a crap load of, of interceptions. And I don't know that Rice is a guy as, as confident as I feel about the defense in general after that discussion. I don't know that Rice is a guy who is likely to be like, yeah, this guy is the absolute best at his position in the conference. And see, I, I kind of, it's interesting. I kind of thought through the same process and I kind of went the other way because if this defense, so I just on paper, this is the most talented defense Rice has had under Mike Bloomgren. I don't even think it's close. And if you're telling me this is more talented than that 2019-2020 defense that was truly elite, I mean, I think they were number one in the conference against the run, and I think they finished, what, top 15 nationally in scoring defense that year? Uh, scoring defense or total defense? They were, they were up there, I know, because Bloom always quoted it. I mean, why would you not? But if they're going to get, and I'm not guaranteeing they're going to get that good, but if Rice has a year where they achieve what they want to achieve, they they get to a bowl game and maybe they knock off. It seems like they're good for one, you know, you shouldn't have beat them win a year. <laughs> so you knock off UAB or UTSA or Houston or something like that. You have that big marquee win. I don't think they do it without somebody that either racks up those those gaudy numbers like you think and i think that i don't i don't know about linebacker but i think I, i'd circle josh piercy off the edge if you told me he has a monster season with a bunch of sacks because sacks are a number that count in this this uh calculation i think that one and then i think if you look at gabe taylor he's a guy that is tied for the lead with all returning conference usa defensive players and in interceptions from last season so if you're telling me that a guy who had what like seven pick sixes in his senior season in high school and has a nose for the ball, you tell me that he has seven, eight interceptions this year. He takes one back to the house. Rice does has a great season. I, I think that it's in the mix. It's it's I don't think either situation is likely, but I think no, if Rice yeah, has sure. the great defense that, that they want to have. I'm not sure that they can do it just by accumulating a bunch of, hey, these are all pretty good guys. I think somebody has to emerge and be a dude. And I, those are two guys that I think could be dudes. Yeah. And I guess I guess my thought was more like, if if I see this defense great being great, if, if you know, you need for a guy to be, uh, you know, conference defense player of the year, he's got to be like an A-plus type guy then I see this Rice defense as having, in an, in its ideal form, like a whole lot of like A-minus guys. And that's going to get you a great defense, but may not necessarily produce that guy who has. I mean, if you tell me Gabe Taylor has seven big sixes, then like, yeah, he's probably going to win the <laughs> defensive player of the year. But How many pick I, sixes I, does it take to win defensive player of the year? I think if you get four, I think. Feel like you gotta lock it up at that point. Yeah, four four in a season is is pretty good. Um, all right, so if you're right. listening, game. <laughs> you want to take the next one first? Yeah. So, and that, ooh, this I I kind of doves in. What's more likely to happen? I didn't kind kind of think through these when I was reading through them. What's more likely to happen? Gabe Taylor has six plus interceptions, or Joshua Piercy has eight plus sacks. So six picks for Gabe. Or eight sacks for Josh. So this is one, and I did this because this is how my brain works on a few of these, where I was just sort of thinking statistically in terms of how often are these stats accumulated. And if you think about, like, if a defense picks off two passes a game in a 12-game season and has 24 interceptions, that's a really good rate of interceptions. If uh, defense has two sacks a game and has 24 sacks over the course of a 12-game season, that is a really bad pass rush. So even though the, the the bar here is slightly higher for sacks, like 
if Josh Piercy has eight sacks, that's like a really great season for him and for the defense. But it's not like a wild statistical outlier. That's like that guy had a really great season rush in the past. Six interceptions for any individual player at any level of football is like a lot of interceptions. So if he's replicating uh, his his like high school season numbers in terms of interceptions, then I mean something is going spectacularly right for this Rice defense. But just in terms of like the relative probability and frequency of these events, I gotta go. I gotta go. Piercy with the sacks here. Okay, so I, I think it's interesting because I, I think you're right that the, the INT numbers are maybe a bit more lofty, but also I, there's just some Gabe has has that nose. Like, I don't know what it is. He, he's going to get more interceptions than you probably should. But if you want to go back and look and, and you go back uh, 10 years of football for the Rice defense, uh just ballpark. Do you know how many, I guess, so that, that goes back to the 2012 season. You know how many different Rice players uh, per season, you know, individual seasons of a Rice player on defense has had eight sacks going back to 2012? I only went back a few years, and the only one I could find that was even close was Anthony Agpe was six except a few years back. But I guess it's not very many, maybe one. It's one. It was Brian Womack put it down. Ah. I believe it was 2017. So one in 10 years. So I think both of these are rare enough events. And I, I I'm going to go back with the sack number because I don't, uh, which is what you said is more likely to happen, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I know it's, I know it's high, but so the, I thought they were both equally challenging, but I, I think somebody has to emerge. I don't, I don't know. This defense has been a, hey, three different guys get four sacks each for the past couple yeah. of years. And the well, net effect that. on the pass rush, it just hasn't been there right. to the standard I think we would want. So I think you need somebody to be the dude. Uh, it could um, be Orgy very easily. It could be Akena. Shoot, if DeBraylin Carroll gets eight sacks up the interior, right uh, him yeah, in that, for defense. That would be, uh, that would be that great. Would be great. Um, so I guess I, I turned that around. I don't know if you checked. Like, is is there any season in the past ten years where a rice a rice player has gotten six interceptions? Um, I don't think I I didn't look that up. I I but I have at one point, and I go back. I have a couple four. I know Philip Gaines had a four interception season at one point at at his peak. But, I know pretty Calderon had four in, in Bloomgren's first season at Rice. Oh, um, yeah. Well, then yeah. so four. Okay. It, would it? Would I? If I said if I put it at four and eight, would you feel any any different? Uh, yeah. You put it at four. I would be. I think that would be enough to 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 push me towards interceptions. Yeah, just because it's at least happened. Okay, a couple tricky ones. We'll see. I'll, I'll go sacks. I think we both go sacks there. Yeah. All right, what are we going to do next? All right, so next one, uh, scoring defense. So is it more likely that the Rice defense or Rice scoring defense will improve by at least a touchdown? So for context, they gave up 36.2 points per game last year. Or that the rushing defense will improve by 40 yards per game. So they gave up 162 rushing yards per game last year. What do you got on this one? So I feel like it has to be the scoring defense. I know improving by a touchdown is a lot, but 36.2 per game is bad. Yeah. That, that, really that is bad. also with <laughs> this one because uh, if you just look at like, like, if we're expecting this to be, like, the 2020... And let's even go the 2019 defense, since there were a whole lot of weird things happening in 2020. Um, but, like, that 2019 Rice defense gave up 25.9 points per game, which was about 50th in the country in scoring defense. That is a totally attainable mark for this defense. Um, and, you know, if you narrow that performance to, like, conference games, like, they did really well in that context, so... Um, that is a totally attainable level to them, I think. 
I actually looked this up because it because it felt crazy. But like, so Rice was eighty third in the country in rushing yards per game allowed last year. If you improve that by forty yards per game, it puts you in the top twenty five. So just in terms of like the spread of of you know the improvement you're looking at here. Going from 36.2 points per game to just a shade under 30 is going from like a terrible defense to a respectable one, which is feels totally in, in reach here. Improving by 40 rushing yards puts you from a mediocre rushing defense to like an elite one. Um, so just that that statistical spread here. Um, I don't think you have to. It doesn't take nearly that level of improvement in the rushing defense to get that improvement in the scoring defense. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you have five interior defensive linemen on the field, it's going to be hard to run. (laughs) If they just line up six (laughs) defensive linemen in every play, they'll give up no rushing yards. They might give up a whole bunch of passing yards, but, you know, if you want to gain this out, just, uh, just put eight guys in the box winning every games single or time. winning this game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I know, and, we, and we've seen, actually, I believe, from the the 2018 to 2019 season and the 2019 to 2020 season, the defense got a touchdown better each year. Yeah. So we've actually seen Brian Smith do this twice. So, yeah, a touchdown better sounds like a lot, but I think last year was, we're going to say last year was the aberration. We'll see. So that's uh, a couple next one up, I think. This one, I think, is going to be interesting. Uh, So just total defense. Uh, What's more likely, Rice is a top three defense in Conference USA next year or someone outside of the two deep, so starters and backups, uh, is a starter by the end of the season? Is it bad that I'm so just traumatized by the way (laughs) injury that I'm just like well some position is going to have like four guys get hurt so it's definitely the second one right um that's why I went with outside of the two deep because for for perspective if you're going outside of the two deep you have to have Chike Anabogu starting at linebacker you have to have a true freshman starting at defensive end Uh, you have to have I mean, maybe Jojo Jean as your starting corner or Joshua Williams as your starting safety. Like these are names that I, you probably don't feel comfortable about right now. And, and uh, injuries happen, but probably not, hopefully not too at the exact same position where you can't slide somebody else over. So I, that's why I thought it was particularly interesting because you go outside the two deep, man, you got, you got to get deep before you find somebody. Yeah, but also, whereas we haven't seen a Rice defense be a top three defense in conference yet. I don't believe. Yeah. And if you, I don't know, if you put this one at just in conference games, I would feel a bit better because I don't know that there are a whole lot of CUSA programs. I'm sure there are many playing great offenses. I don't know that there are a whole lot of them that get both uh Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison in one game, and then and then an offense like UHs in another. Um, I feel like those are those are gonna gonna skew the total numbers a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to go someone outside the two deep, maybe for just a game. If you have something where you know one guy's hurt and you've had a guy like I think it's totally reasonable to think like there's gonna be somebody who's not on the two deep who makes a really great improvement in season and pushes his way to a backup spot. And then the guy in front of him gets hurt. Like that's, that's probably how this kind of thing happens. And that is a totally like foreseeable outcome, I guess. Sure. I'll give you that. If we're going excluding injury apocalypse, apocalypse at any position, like, I'm accounting for yeah. just regular injuries. Like, you lose a guy, you even lose two guys. Because uh, I'm like, even if you told me that you lost, you know, both of your strong safeties, or you're starting your third string strong safety, or is Trayshawn Chamberlain playing strong safety today? Like, you might see that. 
So I'm going to say yeah. top three defense. I think that I think given the talent and given the depth, I think that is more within reason than uh, than maybe it might have been in previous years. I think this might be the year to do it. All right. So next one is Rice's plus seven or better in turnovers. Or Rice passing Rice's passing defense finishes in the top half of the conference after being ooh, dead last in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I, I was like, how aggressive can I be in top half? Felt pretty aggressive. Um, for context, do you have on hand what Rice's turnover margin was the last few seasons? So in twenty twenty one, Rice was minus three in turnovers. They were plus one. In 2020, uh, and in 2019, they were minus five. Remember, this is a defense that has not really taken the ball hardly away, uh, take the ball away hardly at all the past couple of years in minus four in 2018. So this has been a neutral defense when it comes to creating turnovers. They've turned it over. It's just not many takeaways. So plus seven in the uh, turnover margin would be pretty anomalous for where they've been. Yeah, um, and like you can, it's and relatively... for the record, they've been bottom half of the league, I think, in pass defense every single year as well. So I think maybe I have to go by. I think maybe did they like get into the top half in 2020? Yes, in 2020, they were sixth out of 13. So they have been <laughs> just fringy top half. Yeah, um, and I think if you wanted to talk yourself into the turnovers, it's easy to see where, or, or, or like you can, you can craft the vision of how that happens, right? Like the pass rush is better, the secondary has all played a lot of football and is really solid, and you've got Gabe Taylor back there picking out passes, and they finally start getting interceptions for like the first time ever outside of the Marshall game, um, and then. Well, I don't know. I guess with quarterback, you if with TJ being so aggressive, I don't know that you're necessarily counting on the offense turning the ball over minimally. But then also, like, it's not like they've been great at taking care of the football on offense the last few years anyway. So I don't know that there's a great chance that the offense is like way worse with take with turnovers yeah. than they have. I been. think it's so, a net even between Wiley because he had a propensity to put the ball on the ground. He didn't uh, interceptions, but, but fumbles too. So I don't know if you have really that much of a change at quarterback. Right. So you can make that case. I just don't like plus seven compared to where they've been before is a huge improvement. Whereas this defense, like we've said, potential for a big leap in the pass rush veteran secondary with a lot of great players back there um them being about as good on passing defense with this bar being relatively low as the 2020 defense was that feels entirely doable. yeah i think you're right there's there's a couple always there's a couple teams every year in conference usa that get to that plus seven mark i just kind of looking through like because the thing is, it's it's almost it's not completely random, but it's kind of really random when you come to turnovers. Like, yeah, having a pass rush and a secondary will help, but sometimes the ball just has to bounce the right way. So, I think, but that's kind of where I come down is it's it's random enough of an occurrence that yeah, is there a one in eleven? I guess maybe two or three in eleven chance that it happens to Rice. I think so, but also I think the odds of them having a top half defense just having the guys back that they do through the air. I think that's got to be better than not. I'm not going to do math on the fly. Whatever three and 11, three elevens is, I think Rice has at least a, like a 40% chance to have a top half passing defense. All right. And this last one, uh, Rice beats a power five non-conference opponent, i.e. USC. Because that is technically the only Power Five non-conference opponent they play. Does Rice beat USC, or is it more likely that Rice is perfect in home games? And those home games are McNeese, uh, 
we're called them Louisiana Lafayette again instead of Louisiana because we're <laughs> um, UAB, Charlotte, UTEP, and UTSA. Whew. Um, they did post opening week lines. I saw earlier today. I believe Rice is a thirty-five point dog against USC. Ooh. Just for the record. Um, I'm gonna go with perfect in home games just because those, like, if you look at those individually, you're like, okay, this can happen. Uh, Louisiana lost everybody after Napier left. They beat UAB last year, and you know, um, Bill Clark retired. Um, Charlotte's winnable. UTEP's winnable. Um, UTSA, we'll see. Um, counting on conference, like this team, maybe everything coming together perfectly and Conference USA chaos conspiring to give them a lift here and there feels more likely to me than um, Rice shuts down Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison. So just for fun, I said, call the McNeese game a just a 90% chance Rice wins that game. Just yeah. 90%. You call all the other ones 50-50 coin flips. Like Rice is probably like, you know, 60% to beat some of them, 40% to beat others. Maybe it's 50% as generous on the whole, but just ballpark numbers. Uh, you, you pull that together, and I get 2.8% chance if you have five toss-ups and a 90%er. 2.8% just multiplying those probabilities that, that Rice goes 6-0 and at home. So does Rice have more or less than a 2.8% chance at beating USC? Um, I wish I could find an easy calculator that, that, <laughs> that would convert a 35-point spread. It has to be like, they got to have like just spotted like two percentage points, right? Just like because random stuff. Uh... My my gut from having seen this stuff before suggests that a 35-point spread is, so what, this is a 2.8% chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I would say it's it's in the same ballpark, which feels right to me, because both of these outcomes are incredibly unlikely. So for the the odds, even ones you just make up on the fly to to... The aligned here feels uh, feels right. I did a good math thing. That feels like a good way to to, to close out a rice related podcast. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that was all the rice defense talk you could possibly want. I hope. Hopefully, we made up for a for a summer of those of you that were just absolutely tortured listening to us talk about these teams that we. Uh, get to leave behind in the trash going forward. Um, hopefully you uh, you enjoyed us uh, getting the real deep dive. Uh, I think it's, this is really the fun stuff, you know, just getting to go all in on your own team and, and really break down each position. So uh, we had fun with it. I hope you did too. We will be back next week. Hopefully there will be news about an active card quarterback for us to talk about by then. Fingers crossed. <laughs> But we'll be back next week to talk offense, and so we'll see y'all then in Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.